Welcome to Slice of Life, where we give time and space to your story. Stories that need to be heard, first-person accounts of how tough life can be, and how we have everyday heroes walking among us. Each week, you'll hear interviews, documentaries, and creative radio, all slices of life, real life as it happens. I'm your host, Randy Zimmerman, and Slice of Life is produced at WMNF in Tampa, Florida. On today's Slice of Life, we'll hear from two people who have lived life their way. Morgan Powell is a writer who can be found most days on a downtown corner, the same place she's been sleeping for three years. But first, we'll hear from Charles Halsupple, a dreamer who came up with an idea for inflatable housing that some scientists said would change the course of humanity. Charles also came up with what he calls a formula to save the world. Suki 222 seeks to provide to every human each day two gallons of fresh water, 2,000 nutritional calories, and two cubic feet of safe shelter. Let's first hear the events that led to Suki 222 from Charles Halsupple. When I was in Berkeley living in the park, I, I the two gallons of water I, I had been using 1.75, but I came up with the 222 and, and, and people related to it, right? And and it was, then it's it's actually in, if you look so at studies. So this is just you're hanging out in your tent in your park in California and you go 222? Well, I was using 1.75 gallons of water. So this, came, Again, from your, so this was, came from your own experience. My own experience, coming back, being hospitalized, down 35 pounds. You could, I, I looked at it coming through There's the different like all this Eastern stuff that's medicine. that's that you're not telling me, man. Well, you know, so you've heard of the so Kundalini so experience. So you divorced in 2005. Well, yeah, it was a four and a half year, five year separation to uh-huh. begin with. And, and But I knew I wanted to transition my life. So I did lump sum, you know, but but what I was so convinced when I, when I, when we did get divorced, and this is a little personal, but I said, you, I, I didn't have an attorney. I said, you can have everything, but you can't have more than everything because I'm going to stop working and do what I can to save humanity. So, you know, we worked it out. Uh, fortunately, I, I was worth enough that she was happy, and I was able to have my two two two. I didn't know two 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 at that time, but but I had my security right, and I was going to go back to work. But as it went by, I became more and more uh, convinced that that I could get through. So when all right, so when so, you, so, so you were sharing a house, or you were you were separated, so you were in different houses. Well, no. Once we got divorced, she she got she ended. She was fine. So you, My kids were fine. So, and you had a house, and I had yeah, I had three houses. So you had three houses. I was renting. How'd you go from three houses to living in the park in California? Uh, I decided to take six months off, or, or and uh, I left. Went to the Indian Reservation in in South Dakota to talk with another nonprofit about a housing how'd you, how'd technology. You, how'd you get there? Uh, I met. Through a cousin that works in water, said, "Hey, there's a nonprofit that's working in housing that the, in the Dakotas." And I said, "Well, let me go because he had a, a tilt wall construction. I come out of building materials and construction. I'd been to the university, and I wanted to bring him in to say, look, we can go to scale if, if with this big idea, right?' And like everyone else that I'd met, they were 
focused on what they were doing, right? Everybody has their mission, their vision, their values, and they're, they're dedicated to it. In most cases, they're financially obligated to do it to somebody else, right? So, and I wasn't. So I, I didn't get that traction. So I had the luxury of meditation. I did yoga for a year. I was, I'd lived in different places. I traveled. I was trying, and I gave myself that space without demands of showing up anywhere to be totally, and I tried to unlearn everything consciously. I said, I'm not going to, I'm going to forget everything I know and see if I can go back to that moment that I I was four years old or eight years old and, and saying, you know, the life there wouldn't be anything to harm me here on the world. Why would there be something to harm me? And and, and I had that luxury. Oh, Many people at, huge, at, 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 at a year old. Luxury. As, as a woman in the world, I can tell you it's a huge luxury uh, to walk around the world feeling like nothing's going to hurt you. You know, uh, right. And as a child, we, we should all have that. You know, now I Absolutely. realize that, that, but I have a, a huge advantage. One, I was born in the 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 fifties. Mm-hmm. I'm a male. I'm, I'm a fairly large male, and and I can be articulate, so I can I can relate. And I consider myself my biggest trait to that I have for me that I enjoy is as my empathy and my ability to to mm. to, to 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 relate to someone without them holding me responsible for their difficulty to mm-hmm. seeing me as somebody that might understand or at least is not judging and that that gives me a freedom absolutely that that is it, it, it's worth more than every possession material possession i've ever had so you're in the dakotas i'm in the dakotas and what happens there basically i got asked to leave <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know construction, right? I, okay. I, I, so, and and they were building this this new house. Well, the person that was actually going to show and 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 the the construction, the salespeople were there, but they didn't know actually how to put it up. It was tilt wall construction. I was familiar with that, so I got involved in it. Well, they were videoing it, and so the videographer was following me around, the stranger that was manic, that was trying to get a much much bigger idea. I was just doing it to get. The, the founder of this organization to, to expand, right? So I was doing the job, but the, I was too central of a figure in the, the, the operation. I've been, I, I got kicked out of the, the peace house and the Occupy movement, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was arrested twice in Berkeley for disturbing the peace. I, I, I make a splash normally. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> you got kicked out of the peace house. Okay. What? Yeah. So, it, so, <laughs> so you got kicked out of the Dakotas trying to learn about this different housing process, building houses. Well, right? I was actually, I, I helped them build. I was useful there. But when I went to, to say, I want to take it to a global initiative, okay. their focus was very narrow. I was okay. appreciated, but, but I realized at that point it wasn't going to work. So I mean, I, I didn't get kicked out, but but I realized at that point my reason for being there 
which was to collaborate with another nonprofit that was also worked in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, oh, wouldn't kind of an idealistic approach? Like, oh, this will work. You know, there's some mystical stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm searching for my Kundalini experience that you're not supposed to do by yourself. But it's been eight years and I'm going to either make it or break it. Okay. So I, I, I leave South Dakota. I go to Colorado. I drive up to Seattle based uh, for another reason. I get invited what's, to wait, go. Wait, wait, what's the other reason? What's the reason you went to Seattle? Well, it, it had to do in developing the shelter technology, but uh, a contact at Vashon Island. Okay. Out of uh, part of the backbone campaign that that I'd met in D.C. during the Occupy movement, uh-huh. they, they do a artful demonstration. They work on the environment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I was going to meet... Uh, Bill Moyer that uh, that that runs that show, and and not not the not the, per, the television personality. Uh, so I went out there and I met someone with that knew my cousin. So oh, let me stop in and see him. Uh-huh. And actually, I stayed with him, and he says, "Are you going to Burning Man?" And I said, "I've never been to Burning Man." Cool. So he says, "I've Very got cool. a ticket." People, right? people out in the desert, <laughs> yeah. living off the land, yeah, 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 for a week, S- yeah, keeping it clean. Yeah, keep yeah. It clean. It's just a magical experience. Yeah. It's got all kinds of reputation. But I went out there with a group from Oregon, the Otter Clan, and and some people from Colorado, and I was using these other numbers, the one point seven five gallons. When I came out of this six month experience, well, first I went from Burning Man to Morrison, Colorado, where Red Rocks are. Right. Okay. I met some of the the the, uh, the core people that were uh, where the Grateful Dead stayed at the at the lodge there. I met the the, uh, the different artists, whether photographer and and it, it, you know some of the the early stages of the cannabis industry. It was just I was kind of I ended up in this this neat gear work of of, of uh, history basically. And then a group of those people were going, they said they wanted to go to Berkeley. Well, I was headed out west anyway, and further, the the band that was part of the Grateful Dead experience was going to, so I went out there and and parked my car at at, uh, People's Park, which is a... So so you went out there for the Grateful Dead Yeah, Grateful Dead, and I I was on a a walkabout, so I'm thinking, you know, let me just go where where it takes me you know i figured i'd stop in at uc berkeley while i was there and i did but i i got up to people's park and it was near fillmore west and parked my car and i went into the tibetan store Mm -hmm. along with the med cafe and and all of that spot that was telegraph avenue which is where the beat generation and and jim morrison and the doors and they all used to hang out in this spot and there were a lot of those people still around. And, and so I parked my car right near the FBI <laughs> satellite station and and left it there, went to the Tibetan store, bought this ring, bought all kinds of stuff and, and gave some of it out, right? And I got to know the Tibetan twins. And this is a little side story that's pretty crazy. So they knew I was, on, and, and they said, you're on a mission to, to for all of us, I didn't tell them anything, but they and, and and so I would buy the ring. I bought a necklace and and bought some other stuff. I bought a prostate rug, a jacket, and as I went back in there, after about a week, I 
had this, I was going to the bank and it came to me and I had my wallet that had, you know, the euros and, and uh, pounds and I'd been traveling, right? So I had all this, this different currency and a few hundred dollars and I'm walking into the bank and it comes to my mind, I pull my wallet out of my pocket and I throw it into this guy's little sweeper bin that he's standing outside the bank with the, and I throw it in there and I'd lived without my, and he looked at me like, what are you doing? I just looked at him and nodded and I lived without any money for like two and a half months during the portion, the part of that. In, 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 in California. Sleeping in People's Park, right. If you okay. Google People's Park, Berkeley, you'll see that's, you know, it's oh, yeah. known for murders and Been drugs there. and I didn't see any of that. So you were there for two and a half Two and a half, October, uh, early October until, uh, well, I got back to Tampa the 1st of January or so. Uh, So what'd you do with your car? I just left it parked there, right? They left it parked there. People were sleeping in it. I was sleeping in the park, right? Uh-huh. And and after a couple of weeks, it was still there. And I, I got a note that, that to, it was going to be towed. Mm-hmm. And somehow or another, they wanted to know where I was wanted it towed. Well, there was a Toyota dealership three blocks away. They towed it there, put it inside, and it, the batteries were dead. I had thrown my keys away. and 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 Why did you do that? You're just giving I, away all your I, I stuff. I had been it had been eight years, and and uh, I had been told that I had an idea that can transform the world, right? Affect hundreds of millions of people with this housing, and that was the year I said I'm gonna. I, I have to get this out. I have to to get something, someone to to back me up on this, but that will fund it. You know, I wasn't, but I needed. Credibility. I didn't have two, two, two. I didn't have the sustainable development goals. I was trying to get it together. So the the, the Tibetan twins, the brothers that ran the place for their father, says, "You're on this mission. We. I want to bring a Tibetan elder, a friend of my father's, in, and he'll give you some mantras that you can go through." In my mind, I had heard about the Kundalini experience. I said, "I'm going to go through it by myself." You know, I, I know it's not supposed to be, or anybody that's familiar with that. Uh, Tell me a little bit about that. What is that, uh, the Kundalini experience? It, it, it's the energy, this, and this is my interpretation. Somebody's an expert. Again, I, I'm not an expert. But it, but it's coming to, in my interpretation, the realization both spiritually and physically of allowing that energy to manifest mm-hmm. within within your actions, within your mind, within your soul. Uh so it, it's it's a metamorphosis, babe, kind of a okay. rebirth. Uh, uh, so you were conscious of this rebirth, or you were conscious of making this rebirth happen for yourself? I, I had felt I had already gone through it to mm. the most part, but I hadn't been able to effectively talk to anybody else that has. I hadn't. I didn't have a guide. I didn't have any of this. You know, I've always been a that fellow that wanders off and. You know, where the heck is he? But I might be there when you get there, right? (laughs) You know, or I may have left already and gone on to the next spot. So you think I'm crazy or, or, you know, you ignore me or you think I'm crazy the way that goes. So I I was comfortable with that. Um, But they brought the elder in and he said, again, you're on this mission. I'm going to give you three mantras. And he gave me the masculine mantra because he says this is a balance between the masculine and the feminine and and back into the traditional Tibetan uh, philosophy. Mm -hmm. 
which I don't know much about, but he's telling me, he's affirming that I'm on this thing that I think I'm on, and he gives me the, the masculine, um mari padmi home. He gives me the feminine, um tara, tut tara, toriso ha. And he gives me the, the feminine, what I'll call warrior, the one that if I need protection, it's tara, tara. So I had been going through the park and, and I lost about 25, 30 pounds, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm 6'4", so I had some, but I was down thin. And and Vinjay convinced me to go to the doctor to get checked out. He said he was going to county. So now I'm a homeless veteran without ID that is exhibiting uh, uh, aberrant behavior at best, right? And I had put myself in this position. Yes. One, to build this story that we're talking about now, as much as anything, as, as crazy as that seems, I knew that I was going to go the rest of my life to get something done, and I needed to do something different outside because what people had been doing for years hadn't saved humanity with some very simple stuff, which is just getting them water, food, and shelter. Mm-hmm. And I had that. So I went through around doing my mantras, well, one night after going to the hospital, him going to the hospital, me down weight, I was sitting in the Alameda County Hospital, county hospital for hours and hours. I fall asleep. They wake me up. They put me on a gurney. They put me in an, uh, an IV in me. Now, when I went to sleep, when I was getting cared for after waking up in the waiting room, if you've ever seen the show Reno 911, the bizarre characters with the cop in, 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 and everybody's got this, well, the nursing staff and the doctors, everybody was beautiful or they were totally bizarre, you know, wearing <laughs> okay. some crazy. And so they put me on a gurney in the hallway, gave me an IV, woke me up eight, ten hours later in the hallway, took the IV out and discharged me out into the street. Right. So now I'm. I they, guess they, you got nutrition, you got a nap, time well, to go. I got, I got an IV, right, which right. is nutrition, but I hadn't eaten in days. Right. Mm. There was no other diagnosis and nobody, nobody seemed to care, right? But you had money in the bank, right? I had money in the bank, but I had none in my pocket and I had no intention of getting money, right? Okay. I, I, I was. This was an intentional thing I was doing. So, I mean, I was going to come out because I had to get home and take care of a, a friend for a month that had MS that I had, had been doing for, for a decade. So, I got out of the hospital and I start walking the, I don't know what it was, but miles, you know, I, I'm thinking it was 10 or 12 miles. May not have been, but it gets late, it gets dark, it gets, gets cold. We're in Oakland, right, San Francisco. And it's it's uh, December, and I'm not dressed for it. And I, I walking, walking, now as a medic in the Army, right? Mm-hmm. So I understand hypothermia. Mm-hmm. And I start, and there was no place for me to go. Everything was locked. And, and so I'm in the street, and I'm really thinking I could go down. And if I go down, I could die. Tara, Tara. Randy, I looked down nearly that fast, might've been that fast. And there's a five foot by seven foot carpet rolled up brand new. Right. And it's in the sidewalk. I, I, I open up the sidewalk with the band that you have to open up, like if you're in Kmart or whatever, and, and, and I get inside this carpet and I go to sleep right there. 
and I wake up in the middle of the night and my hands caught in the Bodhi beads and the, the, that I had bought at the Tibetan store and it snaps the beads and I hear the beads roll around. I go back to sleep. Well, I wake up first light, it's dewy, it's damp. And I, and I feel alive. It's more alive than I've ever felt in my life. Right. And I start picking up the beads and the little turquoise and the coral and a little bit of silver and trying to put him back on the on the string that had broken. And a car pulls up, little Ford Pinto, a little lady, her hair all messed up. And uh, she looks at me and says, oh, you found my carpet. I was talking with Charles Halsupple of Suki 222. That's Suki 222, S-U-K-H-I 222. And you're listening to Slice of Life produced at WMNF in Tampa, Florida. In 1985, Morgan Powell was in El Salvador, reporting for a variety of news outlets, including the Chicago Tribune. Her beat? The Salvadoran Civil War. After a few years, she returned to the U.S. to report on the so-called War on Drugs and an assortment of other issues. Morgan Powell wound up in Tampa for the same reason many others do, to care for an aging parent. It only took a few more unfortunate events for Powell to find herself on the street without a place to call home. But again, Powell kept on writing. Calling herself Street Puppy, Powell reports on what she calls Homeless Nation. That is, until 2013. I'm unsure if it's because another laptop was stolen or the cataracts in her eyes got too bad to see. I was introduced to her in her usual spot in downtown Tampa. When I was in Latin America, I worked for ABC News and the Chicago Tribune. So I had a double duty thing going on. So I had a, and then when all, that was all over and I was the, through with war, went back and the, uh, the Tribune gave me my own column. It was a media column, I was writing on the media. But that was, I guess, my reward for doing all, you know, I covered the war for them. And then, and then, well, I was the ABC News and Chicago Tribune. And once in a while, another newspaper would come to me and say, could you do a special for us? I'd say, sure. Yeah. What, what was the name of your column? Uh, and the, uh, uh, it was called On the Newsstand. And it was about the column in the Tribune. It was called On the Newsstand, and it was about media, any kind of media. But before that, I was writing about the war for them, and then I also wrote long, what they call long-form uh, stories. I had a wonderful interview with uh, Peter O'Toole, uh, all, all these wonderful people. I was like what they call a special features writer. You know, I wasn't covering fires or anything like that. I was, uh, but that was it. So, so when you say you covered the wars, what, what year was this? What wars are we talking about? The 80s, when it was blowing up in, in Latin America. So like, so like Allende and Pinochet and... No, that, that was further south of us. Well, I was in Central America where it was the, the Contras, the Sandinistas, all that stuff. That was my beat. And that's what I covered. But now I'm going increasingly concerned because I see what happened 35 years ago is happening all over again. Like what? They have gone into what my friend from the New York Times calls a long, slow, steady descent into hell. It's just the same thing over again. They've suspended all civil rights in El Salvador. Uh, Daniel Ortega, who was a Sandinista, is the same thing in Nicaragua. 
The Hondurans are run by gangs, and now Guatemala has this very hill. I'm sitting here thinking, really? <laughs> Again? And you know what? I'm going to have to go back there. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to have to. I'll do it. So tell me a little bit more about your career in, in writing, right? What was, what was the... career in writing? Yeah. All right, I started out when I was 15 years old. I started writing for... My parents didn't know I was doing it. I started writing for a, a local newspaper, and then I went, I interned, uh, Where? Where was that? And this is in Michigan, but I was from Chicago. But when my mother remarried, we, we moved to uh, Michigan, and then I, I went to uh, uh, the Tribune, the Chicago Tribune, three years in a row for interning. I was an intern. And then when I was done with that, I had to, I had to go to Europe for a year, and I came back, and the Tribune offered me a full-time job. And I said, okay, I'll take it. You know, I'll do this. But so then, and then I told them I wanted to go to Latin America. They wouldn't send me there. I said, well, then I resigned. And I resigned. I said, I'm going there by myself. <laughs> and I did. But they said, well, you can write for us, but we can't send you there. We don't have any women correspondents down there. So that's and, and what year was this? It was in 1980, I uh, would have been 85 or 86. And, and how old were you, if you don't mind me asking? I'm not going to tell you how old I am. Okay. I'm eight. <laughs> I'm eight years old. No, so that's how that all started. But once I was there, and they knew I was there, and I decided, and ABC News then offered me the job to be their res what they call a resident correspondent. So I said, I've never done this before. I think I can do it. And I what? that's how I ended up in years of war. Like, uh, and, and then uh, that's how it happened. When I came back, back to work on the Tribune, and I was doing long, how did that all happen? Yeah, it just happened. I think the Lord God said, this is what you're going to do. And I say, I, I, don't, I did it. I did it. Tell me, what did it take for, for you to get there on your own? What did you have to do to raise the funds to get on? Did you take a plane? Did you take a train? Did you drive? How did you get there? To Salvador? Yeah. I took a plane. I went there to... Uh, what I did was I wanted to test the waters. So I went there, and I was there for uh, four days. And my then significant other was in Miami waiting for me. And I was just struck by the whole thing, and I said, I got to go back there. And that's when I went back there, and the Tribune said, okay, we'll let you cover the election. And I went back there. I was hooked. I said, I'm staying here, and that's it. It's over. <clears throat> I didn't know what I was doing, but I learned. But I thought it's very important that they have good journalists here. You know, we're telling the story, what's really going on. So that was what was really going on. I, le I, I learned I. I, I I didn't know what I was doing when I got there. I just said, well, I'm here. <clears throat> so, And, and uh, how long were you there for, and what are the types of stories you covered? I was there based in San Salvador for two years. I covered everything, the war, the politics, the government. It was, at that time, which is why I'm so disappointed to see what's happening now, it was a mess. That was my job. I, I covered, I had to, you had to do everything. I'd cover the war, politics, government, everything that was going on. So I did it. 
And I stayed there, and two years, for after two years, I said, time to get out of here, because my life had been threatened so many times. Thought, time to leave, so I backed off. But I still, when I was back in the States, because I was very familiar with, with what was going on there, was able to write policy stories and what's really going on there, because I knew all that. And now, I think I'm going back again. And I don't know if I really want to do it, because I'm thinking, do I really need to do this? I think so. I, I'm, I'm thinking you're, you're ready to retire, Miss Morgan. No, I'm not retiring. Well, why would I retire? So when you came back from El Salvador, where did you go and what did you do? I went back to Chicago. <clears throat> I went back to Chicago. I had my house there. The man who was the man of my life, who was also a journalist, uh, we had a good life. The thing, I went back to my home, but it took me about a year, <coughs> excuse me, to get through that. To back off, and I had some PTSD issues. You always do when you're in war. You can ask anybody who's been in war. Something could have happened there, but I, I went back, kept working for the Tribune, and then I had other things I had to do, and uh, yeah, so that was it. I kept working the Tribune. The Tribune took me back. So yeah, war is. A, I listened to you had this wonderful program. I'm talking about war correspondents. And I was listening to it, and I said, "Yep, I know exactly what they're talking about." It takes a while to get out of that, but at some point you got to get out of it. If you don't, you're gonna die. You know, or what? But anyway, so I got out of it. Kind, kind of the same thing. The war correspondents said, "I know they have a another life, someplace else that they kind of go home to." They relax, they chill, and then they go back in the fray. Important thing. See, I had that. I, I always knew there was a nest back there waiting for me. I could go home, take it easy, but also, you know, you, it got to a point where you say, where is sanity, where is insanity? Is sanity here? Everything, everybody's cool, doing your thing, or is insanity there? People are fighting, dying for their lives every day. So that was a difficult, but when I was listening to that program that, that you did on, uh, or they did, on, I, I said, yep, I know exactly what they're talking about. It takes a while to, to acclimate and say, to get that out of your head. Because you, you know, you're over there, you see things you don't want to see. Like, like what? What are the types of things you saw? Uh, kids with their hands tied behind their back, you know, been raped and all that stuff that's going on in the Ukraine right now. You see that crap and you see people dying. And you see awful things, but you have to write about it. You have to keep your head straight about it and write about it and say, and, and tell the truth. It's like, this is what it is. It's a, tough, it's a tough job. And tell me, when you got back to the Chicago Tribune, what was it like? Tell me, you know, because a lot of people, they have only these weird images of what it's like to be a journalist. Um, when you got back to Chicago and, and you worked for the Trib and you worked for these other organizations, what was it like from the inside out? On the inside out, I pretty much cloistered myself for a whole year. Uh, only a few people knew I was back. I needed to calm down. I also needed to do my work. But, you know, I was fortunate. I had my own office in my apartment so I could do my work. And I was still writing for the Tribune. But I had a reluctance to go out and mix, mix with people. I didn't want to answer any questions. Most war correspondents will tell you, as I did, you don't talk about it unless it's somebody who has been there. Because you don't want to talk about it. What, what am I going to tell you? You want to see the things I've seen? I don't think you want to see that. But it's just, uh, it took a while for me to just get 
get through that. I was very, but the thing is, is that in any war correspondent will tell you this, they don't want to talk about it. Unless they're talking to people that, who have been with them. You know, we know what it's like. It's ugly out there, baby. <laughs> you see things you never thought you wanted to see. Or experience things. People try to shoot you and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's ugly. So, but the main thing was, what I did was I just calmed down. Fortunately, I had a good backup system. I had the guy I was living with who was also a journalist. And I just kind of slowly, but I knew I didn't want to, I never ever talked to anybody about what I did down there. Is that weird or what? No, it's not weird. And I completely understand what you're saying. You know, Marla and I talk about this all the time where um, we, we don't want trauma to become like pornography. Yeah. Okay. That's a good thing. But you also don't want to, first of all, you don't want to relive it. But also, if they don't understand that, I'm not, I don't go around telling war stories. Uh-uh. So, so understand, Miss Marla, that that's why I'm here. I'm here so that I'm not creating trauma pornography for other people to understand about what you're going through. But I do want people to understand. I want people to understand um, who is out here on the streets and the value that oh, that yeah. that all that that all of that all of you have that has nothing to do with why I'm on the streets. Okay. That's a whole other situation. But the thing I do know is that I don't talk about it. I don't make a big deal about it. Somebody will come up and say to me, "I heard you on the. I I knew. I I knew. I saw you on TV. Good. Bye. You know it's. Uh, but I don't talk about it. it, it there's no. What are you going to talk about? It's, it's there. This is a whole different situation. It's, this is, but you know what? I'll tell you one thing. My experience as a war correspondent helped me to be out here. I, I know, that. yeah, see, I know what it's like to have to really, uh, uh, you're out there with the guerrillas or the army or something, and uh, you know, you, you learn how to survive. You have to. So that for me, that was like a no-brainer. I know what to do here. First of all, behave yourself. Don't get into trouble. Don't do drugs. Behave. You'll get through this. How'd you get from Chicago to Tampa? My mother uh, was, uh, my, my dad died. And uh, <clears throat> the last thing my dad ever said to me on his deathbed was, you look after your mother. And I knew, I took it very seriously and then I, w I still had some things to do, and then, but I knew I realized she really needed my help. That she she was alone and her just lost her husband of years. So I just said, I answered the call. I said, Well, I got to go be with my mom. She she didn't live here in Tampa. She lived in Zephyr Hills. So I just said, talk to my best friend up there. I said, What do we do? She said, Answer the call. You got to take care of her. And so I did. And she was, uh, it was, uh, you know, what it was a privilege. I took, she wasn't sick or anything, but she was, I knew she was alone, she was lonely, and I knew she needed me. So I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going down there. And when I, and when she passed, I was thinking about going back to Chicago, but by that time I had grown so accustomed to uh, Florida weather, I said, I don't think I want to go. <laughs> I hear that. Two words, January and February, I don't think so. So I came into Tampa, and I, I bought a bus pass and traveled the whole city. So I said, well, I think I'm going to stay here. 
But you know, I was born in 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 uh, Saint uh, Pete. Really? Yeah, my mother was on vacation when I was born, and she said she told me all about it. She said you were born in the middle of a hurricane, and we were you we, they were evacuating us, and you were born and you were, you were born with a full head of hair. <laughs> they called me the witch baby. Anyway, that's, I know, I say, well, you know, anytime I need my birth certificate, all I got to do is call it up, because I was born here. So I said, well, it's natural that I would be here, but, you know, about going back to Chicago, uh-uh, the weather, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> even, even with this heat, you're okay with the heat? I'm okay with the heat. I know how to live with it. But, and th- I've been listening to it all week long on the radio, there's, it's frightening. I don't, nobody knows what's going on here. The hottest place on the planet was uh, Phoenix. Yeah. I said to somebody, I said, are you sure about that? It was Phoenix? Yep, it was Phoenix. We don't know what's going on here. What I do know, though, is that I'm perfectly comfortable being in Florida. I love Florida. I've made friends here. I'm not going back to winters in Chicago. <laughs> End of story. <laughs> so Miss Marla tells me that she's really worried about you, though. Why is she worried? It, you know, this is, I'm okay. If I thought I needed to be in a nursing home, I would go there. I was just in the hospital two weeks ago with pneumonia. I had pneumonia. So what, I had pneumonia. I was there for several days. They took care of me. But believe me, if I thought I needed to do that, I would do it. I'm not going to be a burden on anybody. But I'm out here. I have friends. I can make around. But I believe me. And tell her, please, I love her with all my heart. If I thought I needed to go, I would go. But I got things to do. I want to cover this election. I want to go out. Uh, I have four blogs I have. I want to I activate them Do and do that and be a reporter out here. I can do that. But if I really thought, if I really thought I needed to do that, I would do the right thing. But I'm okay. I have money. I have a, you know, I have a, you know, I have a friends. I'm, a, I'm, he- I'm healthy, other than that pneumonia that happened uh, a couple of weeks ago. So so what about shelter? Do you have shelter that you go to every night? No, I don't, but I'm going to fix that. And when, the way I'm going to fix that, I have a friend who is, uh, she's uh, uh, over at United Methodist. Well, I'm Catholic. My church is down here. But I have a good friend. She's a, uh, she's a, a, a Methodist pastor. And she's going to help me. She said, whenever you're ready, we will help you get off the street. When you're ready, Miss Morgan, and by the way, are you ready now? So I'm just going to tell her it's time. They know I know what they're going to do. They're going to find it. they got a place for me, and I, they'll take a third of my income. That's fine with me, but I'm not going into a home. Vicky's not going to put me there. She, 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 she knows. She said, when you're ready, and I know I've got to do that soon. Because it become increasingly dangerous out here. I've been robbed like six times. So, so I know what to do. But she's going to help me. And I know I love Marla, but I'm not going into a nursing home. What are you talking about? So, so um, where where do you have places that you hang out with? Do you have uh, friends that you sleep with to make sure that you're staying safe? Oh, how, do you, how do you? I know who they are. We got three guys around here. One's there, one's there. I won't, sleep, I won't sleep out here at night alone. 
I got one there, one here, one here. I make sure they're there. And they're good friends of mine. Nothing's going to happen to me. And I know all the people around here. Uh, you know, once in a while you get spice heads, people coming down here. But I know I'm relatively safe. Because that's what they do. They, they, they're, they're near me. They know I need help or, uh, you know, something here. But no, I, Mar and I love Marla, but she shouldn't worry too much about that. Except that she's right. I, they, people keep robbing me. I, there's nothing I can do to prevent that. You know, it's, uh, but it, it's sorrowful. Yeah, the, the thing I don't like about being out here are the drug people. I've never done drugs in my life, but there are so many people and new people coming in who are total junkies, and they will do anything, anything for money, including rob people. That's not right, but, you know, I, I do judge them. Because I, don't do, I don't do drugs, never have, never will. What are you doing in a hole? Stop digging. That's what I have to say about that. So, um, other than socializing with your friends, what are the other types of things that uh, that you're doing down here on a daily basis? Well, right now, because of my eyes, I can't do too much until I get this fixed. I'm supposed to have that happen in the next two weeks. Normally, I would be uh, reading books, uh, doing crossword puzzles, going to the library, being on the computer. But right now, with the eye situation, I've not been able to do that. How are you getting your eyes taken care of? Uh, I've got, I have a, an appointment with the ophthalmologist who's going to do it. And they keep, I, I kept putting it off because I'm afraid that it would hurt. I said, no, no, it's nothing. We take the cataracts out, it's done. And then you got two days and you're fine. It, it's actually a pretty easy operation. Easy. I, what I was afraid to do, afraid to go there, I'm thinking they're sticking knives in my eyes. It's, it said, no, Morgan, it's a laser. It's a, it's a laser. We just take it out. Yeah. So the, and, and they give you new lenses. You're going to see better than you've ever seen. Well, they're not. Yeah, exactly right. And so I'm looking forward to that because I, I keep falling off curbs, talking to parking meters, doing this stuff. It's got to end. And I thought, don't be a scaredy cat. Get it taken care of. Go back there. They're going to do it. And it'll take a couple... And then probably have to check into a hotel for a day or two, <clears throat> taking the drops, excuse me. But then I'll say life will be normal again. No, when, when I'm out here and I'm seeing, okay, I'm a whirling dervish. I'm all over the place. So you're in a, a chair right now. What is this about? This is about what they call the long, a long COVID. And when I went, the last time I was at the hospital, I said, what is this about? What's going to go on? How long do I have to do this? He said, <clears throat> he said, well, you've got, oh, by the way, I don't, I don't have to sit in it all the time. I'm up and walking it all the time. But he said, well, it's what we call the long COVID, and you've got it. So I'm out there every day with this thing. I walk it as much as I can. And now I'm going to go buy me a basketball because I'm a basketball player. And I said, I'm going to get a basketball and dribble that thing. I'm serious. I talking. <laughs> I don't want to do that because I don't want you think I don't like, want to be in this chair much longer. But I have to be sometimes. I get I get that basketball. I'm going out there and dribbling. I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to put on it. Wilson, remember that thing? I do from Castaway. Because <laughs> I'm sick of this. So, but the doctor said, be patient. 
You're doing fine because when I, the second bell bottom I had with COVID, I could not even walk when I got out of the hospital. So I think I've come a long way, but I got to get rid of this stuff. So this is about about to go. But I thought the basketball, I said, I asked a friend of mine, can you go with me out to uh, Walmart? I got to get a basketball, dribble it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I'm going to do because I'm getting out of this chair. It's, this is not me. So, and, and she knows that. It, you know, it's been wonderful to talk to you, to do all the, uh, vent all this stuff, because I never talk about it. I just say to myself, I'm going to get the basketball. Wilson. Whatever. So what are the, some of the things that you've had that you really miss that were stolen from you? You know what? That's an interesting thing. What You know what? You find out all the stuff you thought was really important, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't. Because I've had so much stuff stolen from me. Well, I resent when they steal my money or debit cards or something. But you know what? It's freeing in a way. I'm sitting here. This is all I got. You know, I said, I don't have anything to worry about. <laughs> but it's, it's actually... That's the classic, right, song from me and Bobby McGee, Freedom's Just Another yeah, Word for Nothing Left to Lose. Nothing Left to Lose. So when I sit here and I say, I don't have to worry about anything anymore. <laughs> what I have to worry about, I got changes of clothes, I got good friends, I got... I'm, I'm fine. And you realize, this is... What did they need all that stuff for anyway? <laughs> I didn't. Don't, don't don't get me wrong. I got my backpack. No, you got your backpack here. So again, what's what's in here, or what are some of the other what things that have stolen that that you do actually miss? All right. What do I miss? Uh, well, I, I miss my music because I used to have a, a lot of uh, tapes and stuff, uh, good music that I loved. They were all stolen. What else do I miss? I miss having some of the clothes I had. I did, but you know what? Truthfully, I don't miss any. I, I miss some of the. I don't miss it. You talk to many. You know, I say, what am I missing? I got everything I need right here. <laughs> I got. By the way, come after me one more time. But no, I haven't. <laughs> I've had to fight people off. I had to hit a guy in the in the nose one day, not one night. Give it up. I said, right. <laughs> Karate punch, right? Broke my hand. Wow. No, so I've been through that. But what do I miss? I guess having my own sock drawer, you know, having an actual home. You know, this is my bathroom. This is that. This is that. That's what I miss is having a stability. So but I said, I'll have that again. But whenever I talked to Miss Vicky about it, I said, she said, is it time for your own sock drawer again? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. But you know what? The amazing thing is that you'll never discover until you go through something like this what you don't really need. What did you find out you don't need? I don't need uh, um, any kind of fancy clothes. Forget that. You just need T-shirts and that. I don't need. Uh, I don't need three pair of shoes. I don't need that. You don't need multiples of things. What? It's like you're spared down. You have nothing. And that's what you have. So it, I could probably think of a hundred things I, I miss, but not really much because I, I'm 
I, I think the thing, I'm fortunate because I have good people around me, you know? And so when you say, what, what do I really need? What do I miss? I guess having like really good looking clothes, because I used to dress like really beautifully and that was a thing. So I, I, yeah, I miss that. But I also miss, uh, well, I also miss have, uh, and I'm getting a new phone again. I also, oh, I miss my computer. That was stolen. I had a really cool uh, HP uh, computer. Gone. But what, what did you do on your computer that you missed? Oh, in contact with the whole world. Plus, I was doing my blogs. So, Miss Morgan, you realize you're going to need a permanent location in order to keep that laptop and keep those blogs going. And that's what I'm aiming for. And it's not going to be a nursing home. <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> so, have you applied for um, other services to help you get into housing? Well, the thing is, is that Miss Vicky over at uh, uh, the uh, church told me she said, "Whenever you're ready," and I re really, we really wanted you to get her off the street, honey. If I can make it there, I'm going to El Salvador next spring. Okay. Now, now I, I will say. Miss Morgan, you're not going to El Salvador. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. You want to cover elections on the streets of Tampa, I can sort of see well, that, but going yeah. to El Salvador, Miss Morgan, I have mad respect for you, but you you know, yeah. El Salvador is another story, right? But I have an election to recover here. This is a very exciting election year. I know I'm not going to a nursing home. It's crochet. I don't even know how to crochet. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm going to do my work. And I like, the two things I'm going to do is Tampa Bay City Beat. I don't think I need to do Street Puppy anymore, but uh, oh, the, oh, the War on Drugs and the other one. So I don't need, I don't need being in a nursing home. I hope this has been, it's been delightful talking to you, but I hope it's been some help too. My show is called Slice of Life. So I want people to know and feel and hear from people from a variety of perspectives because right everybody everybody's got a story everybody has is is doing heroic things every day um and you know you're a you're a hero right miss morgan you're 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 this war correspondent you're a journalist you're a blogger you're a writer and you got no home you got no place to call home yeah, your laptop's been taken from you it does it does, and people should know. People should know that that you know. People should know you're you're you know you're not yeah, you're not crap. Thing they should know is that I don't do draw. I, I, none of that ever got me here because I don't do that crap. But I'm just a person. It just happened, and I'm gonna take care of it. But I don't want to say yeah, nursing home. I don't need to go to nursing home. I got I got you know what? Remember uh, a Robert Frost poem. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. Right. That's I was doing that in my head today. I was I was walking across the street. I said, "That's me. I'm not giving up." I, I quoted Robert Frost yesterday myself. Really? A man's reach should exceed his grasp, or what is a heaven for? Okay. The other one is all roads lead to where you stand. Yeah. So when I was doing that, the woods are like, I said, I can give it up here. What am I getting? No, there's no way. When I, if I thought it was necessary, I would do it. But I can still write, do it, report. 
so so tell me uh because uh, I'm going to play this on the air. What are, what are things that other people need to know about you, Morgan, Morgan Powell? What are the most important things that people should know about Ms., uh, Morgan Powell? I think probably I know that I am a good and decent person. I've never hurt anybody in my life. I never would. But I, I'm also, yeah, I'm a good and decent person. I'm Catholic, and I adhere to raise my church. But I, I help people. I've done, I think, I've never knowingly hurt anybody in my life. And I think that's what they need to know. They can trust me. I think that's part of the thing that made me such a good journalist. I'm a good journalist. Yeah, a- ask me some questions. What do you want to know about me? How did you get here? <laughs> in my truck. No. <laughs> no, how did you get to be where you are being a radio person? Oh my gosh, that is a non-linear story, okay. Ms. Morgan. But it's an interesting, like, how did you get here? Because people would ask me all the time, how did you get there? And I never knew what to say. Well, it just happened. I, I, I want to know about people, too. And that's part of my job. I had to know everything about people. So my so-called uh, boyfriend, who is now uh, in the wind, was like, why do I always ask people questions? I said, because I need to know. You know, so are you happy in your life? You look, I can't see you that real well, but you look like you're really happy. I am so blessed. I am there. I, I, I have so many blessings. I could tell that by your demeanor, by your thing. I could tell that you, you, you know, so you know what I'm talking about. And people out here think, I know I'm blessed. No, I'm not happy with the situation right now, but I, I'm surrounded by people who help me. So you are. I can see you got a church on that says uh, science. Yes, it says uh, science because uh, making stuff up is not okay. <laughs> really? That, you know, that's really cool. <laughs> making stuff up is not okay. Make, that, that's cool. Making stuff up is not okay. I've known journalists who do that crap. And I've had to work side by side with them. I know who they were. I don't do that. I go out there and get the story. That's it for Slice of Life this week. I want to thank Morgan Powell, Charles Halsupple of Suki222, and Marla Bautista for their contributions. Thanks for listening to Slice of Life, produced at WMNF in Tampa, Florida. Music for the show is Foggy Headed by Audio Mirage from the Creative Commons. If you have a comment or want to learn how to produce your own Slice of Life, Send me an email at randyz at wmnf.org. That's R-A-N-D-I-Z at wmnf.org. Until next week, I hope you can squeeze the rest of your slice of life. Jim Bannon is next with It's the Music. This is WMNF Tampa. The news is coming up in three seconds.